dangerously close. My guest today is Dr. Natalia Barber. Natalia is an assistant professor in transportation and smart cities at the University of Central Florida. She specializes in studying how people travel, adopt new transportation technologies, and shift mobility-related behaviors. Prior to joining UCF, she was an assistant professor at Delft University of Technology and postdoc at MIT. And I'll tell you one more thing. If you want to talk about bikeable cities, Natalia is the person you want to talk to. <laughs> What's up, Natalia? <laughs> well, thank you for this nice introduction, Doug. Great to be here. Uh, I'm so, so excited to talk to you. Like I was telling you before we started recording, this is a subject near and dear to my heart. I have I have biked in many, many very unbikeable cities, bike, uh, I guess, uh, bike unfriendly to say. Uh, I have a question. So University of Central Florida, is that is that in Orlando? Yes, it is. Can you can you ride a bike around there or is that it seems like it wouldn't be the easiest city? It's not the easiest, but you would be surprised that e-scooters are very popular on campus and skateboards. Oh, so yeah. that's how the micro mobility environment looks at UCF, which I did not expect. Um sorry, that's actually kind of a new term to me. What is uh what is micro mobility? Oh, micro mobility, those are all the personal mobility devices and okay. you can count e-scooters or skateboards even bicycles so little personal mobility devices in general okay so like all my favorite stuff yes yes pretty <laughs> I'm much a, i'm a micro mobility fanatic um and and then another thing i was just you know when i was just reading your bio and some of the things you specialize in uh one of the key terms i noticed was smart cities um mm -hmm. I, and I don't want to just take a swing at what that means. So would you be willing to explain uh, what what is a smart city? Sure. Well, smart city is a very broad term. And when you look at the definitions that are very popular online, you can see a variety of, of explanations. And one of them is the information and communication technology to improve operational efficiency and share it the, that, that information to the public or even defined as urban areas that use different types of electronic data collection sensors to supply the information and then use it for optimization. So, so very technical, but there is something to be said about this hot topic of, of smart cities, because when you think about it, the, the idea is great. You have great capabilities of data collection. Yeah. But if you look at it from a, a much broader perspective, when the sensors collect the data, they could be very sophisticated, but they can only collect the data that are available. And in auto-centric cities that are designed around uh, car travel, they'll collect car trips, car parking, um, and all the other attributes. But they will not collect the trips and the willingness of people who, let's say, want to bike or yeah. wants to walk. And, and that's very tricky. So I developed my own definition of smart cities, okay. if you allow me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I was reflecting on that topic for a while. And then I realized that smart cities is not about te the technology per se. It's about creating clever ways to move. Like, why would you take your truck to go to the store to pick up ice cream? It right. makes zero sense. Yeah. So just that clever way of choosing a transportation mode per trip. Okay. So yeah, it's yeah, that a smart city. <laughs> a city uh, that's been designed in a smart way. Uh and yeah. I can see I can see too uh I don't want to go off on a on a crazy track, but I think that maybe there must be some pushback when when you're re referencing like data collection. Do some people kind of feel like that might be a privacy issue? Um a lot of people feel like that. Um a lot of people feel that especially the cameras, um, you know, that tend to collect the street views yeah. could also be sometimes mismanaged. And that's the issue. Uh, but there's a whole another side of the smart city idea, 
that if it focuses too much on technology, it takes the human-centric component out of it. And I read once an article that was suggesting that pedestrians have to now wear certain devices or sensors to be recognized by autonomous vehicles in the future. Oh, no. (laughs) In the end, the, the, the transportation system should serve us. We should be in the center, not the other way around. Yes, I, I could not agree with you more, and especially, uh, and I'm obviously I'm I'm pro EV. Uh, I you know I definitely think that electronic cars are you know we got to be heading in that direction, but I'm far more pro public transportation. It's you know, and then you don't need you don't need to wear a special sensor so that a Tesla doesn't run over you because the subway is not going to run over you as long as you stay off the tracks. I, <laughs> I feel Makes like sense, it's right? a very <laughs> simple concept. Oh, uh, c- can I back up to just one thing you made me think of? Uh, just, sure. I just wanted to share. Uh, so I was born in uh, Tucson, Arizona and I uh, still have a family out there and I still visit. And there was, a, and they have a, they have a, kind of a tech robotics program for speeding tickets. And I'm not, advocating that people should speed i don't think that you know I'd, i think people should should drive safely on the freeway i totally agree with that but i also can see why people uh find it off-putting to you know that they have these uh ais and stuff that just photograph you and you get your ticket in the mail <clears throat> but there was this guy who ended up being kind of a, kind of a folk hero out there because part of the the uh system is when they if you're speeding on the freeway uh, they take a photograph of your license plate and a photograph of you. And, and it proves that you were the person committing the crime. And there was a guy who would just drive with a mask uh, everywhere and he would speed and he would deliberately rack up these speeding tickets, but he couldn't be convicted of the, uh, he could never be convicted of any of these speeding tickets because he always had a mask on and therefore they could never correctly identify him. And he was a little folk hero out in Tucson and Phoenix, Arizona for a while because he would go back and forth between, between those two cities. The police did eventually catch him and he got in a lot of trouble. But uh, I don't know. I just that that story popped into mind as far as the pushback people feel against some of these uh, AIs and surveillance. Yes. And interestingly, once I wrote a paper on adoption patterns of shared automated vehicles and I looked at, at what concerns different groups of people have. And the first concern was safety, which is understandable and very intuitive. But the second one was privacy. And that paper was written a couple years ago, around 2019 or so. Uh, so of course, that those opinions and those, those perceptions change over time. So it could be different right now. But it was an interesting finding to see how much people care about their privacy um, and of course, rightfully so. So yeah. that's one of those barriers that those technologies and the new transportation systems may have to overcome. Oh yeah, and 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 I mean, obviously, we're talking about transportation, and I I promise to get right back to that as, as soon as possible. It just you did make me think uh, too in terms of certain societies that have adopted things like a social credit system, which seems you know very dystopian. It seems kind of anti-human, and I. I feel that a lot of people right now, they feel like that's kind of a lot of what, like what Mark Zuckerberg, you know, and Facebook and kind of what Elon Musk, what, what a lot of these kinds of people are trying to achieve in American society is that, you know, where you're kind of uh, enthralled to these technologies and you don't really have as much autonomy as you might've once had. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think in the EU, the laws are, more strict when it comes to privacy laws in the US mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit different but going back to your point that social part of transportation and how to create incentives that people will actually respond to i think that's a much bigger and and very important question right now and a lot of um countries and regions try to incentivize bicycle travel even at the company level like you get certain incentive if you don't drive or tax incentives I oh, think cool. in the Netherlands. Oh, um, cool. That's been implemented. So they are really trying to make people have a second thought about the driving, whether yeah. it's necessary. And to be fully transparent, um, 
I am not against driving because sometimes I get on Twitter and there's this huge discussion about the cyclists versus drivers. And that's not really the case. And a lot of times when I share an opinion, I get a pushback on that. Right. And so I don't have the space <laughs> on Twitter to explain it, but I think that's a perfect opportunity to elaborate. When you're pro other modes of transportation, like public transport, public transport, walking or cycling, you take vehicles out of the road. So then people who must drive because of their physical characteristics or, you know, other reasons, or they just don't feel like walking or cycling, they have better road conditions, not to even mention the environment. So I think by promoting alternative modes, the entire society benefits. So it's a win-win for everyone. It's amazing you would say that because I just learned a new term. It's called each and. I don't know if you use that uh, in your work, but it just means that it's, I uh, learned it from, uh, it's being used in education where two things can be true and two things that are uh, completely opposite can also be true at the same time. So it's just kind of like what you're saying. It's not bicycles versus cars. We're not trying to say that you can't have cars because bicycles are now given uh, more access to roads and you know greater protection and rights. It's you know it's each and I. I wish I knew I wish I knew the terminology better, but it's just it's just funny that you said that because it just popped into my head that I had just learned that yesterday and I thought it was very fascinating. But I wanted to. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go, 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 oh. go. <laughs> well, it was actually I was just just going to ask you just about you really, and that's. Um, what is it uh, like, you know, just kind of like early on? I mean, now, obviously, you're a specialist. Uh, you teach this. But how did you go? How did you end up going down this road of uh, getting interested in uh, specializing in uh, travel, transportation technologies? Does that make sense? Like, uh, yes, you- yes. <laughs> and the story, I have never shared it uh, publicly, oh, um, but I'm ready, story, I'm ready everybody. to share it. <laughs> I'm ready <laughs> right. to share it now because I think it's it's interesting. And it, you know, our careers and our lives usually follow unpredicted routes. And mine is very similar. So when I moved to the US, it was around 2007, 2008. I had my bachelor's degree in physics. So I was specializing actually in optometry. So I was prescribing eye correction and doing physical, like, yeah, I was an optometrist back in Poland. And then I moved here and I'm like, well, let me try something new. And because the optometry department was within the physics department, I had technical and scientific backgrounds. I'm like, engineering sounds really cool. And I narrowed it down to environmental or transportation. And I was browsing the university portfolio and I was like, which one should I choose? And then, and and that's what I didn't share because it's, I don't know, you you tell me if it's shareable. One of them was in bold. And I'm like, this is a sign. I should be a transportation engineer. And that's one, that's why I, I chose transportation engineering. And I, kind of didn't go for the environmental although they're very related yeah. i ended up i ended up with transportation because it was in bold and i think that was an error on their website and here we are 15 years later i love that origin story more than maybe any other origin story i've ever because <laughs> you know i i too i live my life that way i really do i look i look for signs i look you know i believe in synchronicity as a matter of fact this will be, this is going to sound kind of like and if, to people that don't really believe in the synchronicity of, you know, uh, of events and why, why did, you know, why did one day, did you choose to walk into a certain store and then you ran into a friend you haven't seen in 20 years and you were just thinking about them the other day, like those kind of things. I think they're fascinating. And when you brought up that you were an optometrist, I had just finished reading the book uh, Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, which I've read 10 times. And I was just, I was the other day. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna because it's it's an easy read. You can do it in a day. So I, I picked it up and read it. And if anyone who people might not remember or be familiar, but in that book, the main character Billy Pilgrim is an optometrist, 
and optometry is all throughout that book. I just finished reading it yesterday. And it's so funny that uh, you're like, I was an optometrist and I was like, I just read a book about optometrists. So uh, to your point, uh, little signs in life. And yes. I, I love that you were at a crossroads and you picked the one that was in bold. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just got to make a decision. And if both options seem like good choices, you got to base your decision on something and something could be silly or, um, you know, scientifically yeah. driven. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. And I obviously, you know, you picked the one in bold, but look at, you know, what's happening. This, you know, you were, you've picked such an incredibly awesome subject and and world to be in and you know something that i respect so much so it's just yeah thank you uh yeah. to whoever whoever made that website and whoever made that clerical error and bolded that word thank you <laughs> and i remember that moment um that i'm like that's it and it's interesting how it then impacts your life because now i feel like the research that i'm doing is in a way reflected in my personal life, which I'm very fortunate because a lot of times the research is very uh, theory driven. And in my case, it's practical. I can see uh, the cities, how they're being developed, how people move and then study their mobility. Uh, so it ended up working well. And I feel like this is kind of like a little segue to make here because we're talking about uh, decisions that you made, you know, but as an adult, but just, you know, these are decisions that uh, cause growth and change. And, and I know that one of the uh, one of the things that you research is uh, the effect on kids. So kids ability to uh, ride a bike or walk to school, uh, how that affects them, how important that is. Could you uh, talk about that a little bit? Uh, sure. And I try to focus in general in my research on the equity components of transportation. So emphasize the groups that have been historically overlooked. And in transportation design, the commute trips have been historically prioritized in transportation systems. So when I look and I study travel behavior, I, I try to see how women behave, how people with children behave. So everything but the commute trip, because then I feel like we can really improve the mobility of other groups. And going back to children, Having my own children really impacted me because, of course, we want everything that's best for our children. And I looked up a study, uh, and the study comes from Denmark, and it looked at 20,000 children between ages 5 and 19, so young adults. Um, and the, the kids cycled and walked uh, to school, and then the study looked at their concentration and cognitive performance, and they found that the children who actively commuted to school outperformed the children who didn't. And oh, wow. interestingly, they found that that active commute was more important than eating breakfast or lunch. Uh, although healthy diet was found important, that healthy activity and physical activity outperformed that so kids if any um any kids are listening skip breakfast skip mm -hmm. lunch but walk and bike to school if you want ace um and you know jokingly that's what i really truly believe in as well oh yeah uh well i don't know how many kids uh ever get to listen to this podcast because it is rated explicit on so parents uh, parents on, on, on apple <laughs> and spotify because i do say bad words but but never, you know what? I'll, I'll say this: never in a mean-spirited way. I say <laughs> I never do it that way. Um, so yeah, that's that's incredible. That, but you know, it makes perfect sense to me because I I believe so much in uh, physical activity, uh, helping you to be able to think clearly. It's one of for me personally. It's one of the. Uh, it's just a, like a tenet of my life. Uh, I've always wanted to be someone who could meditate. I've I admire it. I try it. You know, I have I have a a very poor meditation practice, but I do give it a shot. Uh, you know, whenever I can. Yeah. But I've noticed that in movement, uh, I can achieve something that I believe is closer to what a meditative state is. So, on a bicycle, yeah. on a hike, does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And there's one more point about children's mobility. When we're young, we form our habits. And then Mm. once we form our habits, we give the habits to the next generations. And if you can look at the trajectories of how many kids walked or biked to school, when you compare 1960s and 70s to uh, 2010s or 20s, you can see a tremendous shift because back in the day, 50% of kids walked or cycled to school, about 40% um, did school bus. And now those numbers went from 50% of kids walking to about 13, one, three. Um, And that's a tremendous change. Yeah. And not even taking that activity aside, the amount of pollution that these cars produce in the school zones that is just not healthy period yeah, yeah. And, and we're even discussing like uh schools that have at least buses which are like at least mass transportation but uh and not to call anybody out or, or to you know say that wealthy people are necessarily greater polluters although of course they are but <laughs> there's a, a private school nearby to where i live and of course, they don't. They don't use buses. They don't have a bus system because they don't have a large enough school population, and they don't have um, public funding. So everyone is driven to school by their parents in a giant SUV. And the that school is it's kind of on a side street. And every day when that school lets out, there's a hundred like Cadillac Escalades parked bumper to bumper, running. It's <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the worst is when, okay, I get the driving, but sometimes that car is unnecessarily on and maybe bringing awareness to those types of behaviors, the very low hanging fruits in yeah. our world that could make a change and actually impact the pollution levels. And then going actually back to the uh, number of, of how much each car pollutes, if you think about it, of course, it's very hard to make an estimation, but let's say... Uh, the literature estimates um, a car to emit between two to three fifty hundred uh, two hundred between two hundred and three fifty um, grams of CO two per mile. So let's say you live a mile from that school. If you can somehow skip that trip, do it on whatever micro mobility mode um, is available to you and safe, of course. Yeah. Each trip saves about 700 grams of CO2 and now multiply that by the number of school and the number of children. Um, that's when you get change at scale. And and of course, and that's and, and now we're back on track, too, because we're talking about designing cities so that you can do that, because that's uh, like I told you before, I live in Nashville. It's a very mm-hmm. uh, it's not very pedestrian friendly in a lot of areas. It's fine downtown, not so much other areas. Uh, it's it's not uh, it's not bicycle friendly in many areas, and so I understand too. Like these people, uh, it it does seem like I'll take any opportunity I can to take a jab at uh, luxury pollution. Uh, we did a whole episode on that, and that's you know obviously more. I you know means like super yachts, private jets, but also you know on a smaller scale, just excessive SUV use. But I'm gonna drop that completely. And get back on the track of designing these cities because you know. Uh, people do, I think a lot of these people, maybe even the ones that are in these uh, giant vehicles would take the opportunity to ride a bicycle if they could. Does that, you know, and uh, yes, I guess, oh, I guess I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go ahead. Yes. That opportunity is key right now because how do you shift that mobility and what are the groups of people who will actually make those shifts? And identifying those groups and then developing programs or uh, even little bike lanes here or there. And then we, we need to talk about bike lane design because oh, yeah. we're talking about cities. The key components to safe infrastructure is separating the traffic. So there are no different speeds mixing in one space. And that then creates safe environment. So there are a lot of different factors. It's not only social demographic, it's not only uh, environment driven, uh, but it's the entire picture. And I know that I wish I could be more specific, Yeah, <laughs> but that's not how that works, unfortunately. 
Well, and and you don't have to be uh, too specific because I would say like let's you know like we're, we're talking. Let's say we're talking to a skeptic. You know, there's a lot of skeptics out there. Uh, what are some of the things like? Let's just say that uh, major positive effects of transitioning to bikeable, walkable cities. You know, let's let's sell it to them. Some of them are just lowering uh, lower pollution, which impacts everyone. Um, the next one is the, although that's very controversial, I'm going to get some heat for that, but I'm going to say it anyway, activity. But I need to elaborate. There is this notion among the cyclist community and, you know, a lot of times people who use e-bikes, uh, they're called cheaters because they don't get activity, which is completely that's not silly. true. Yeah. Yeah, that's silly because in the end, it's not for exercise people cycle for commutes or transportation needs uh and then no one really asks a driver hey you're cheating you didn't get any exercise when you took your yeah. car to a grocery store <laughs> so it's a completely double standard but i'm gonna say it anyway um the physical activity that's a byproduct of your trip whether you do e-bike or even e-scooter when you don't do anything, you're still outside, you're still enjoying fresh air. So there is an added value to that. Yeah. Another uh, big one is cost. If you think about it, how expensive auto ownership is per individual. And research says that people will be more likely to buy the car before they purchase their entire house. The difference is that the car appreciates, it depreciates more than their house. Yeah. So they're sinking their money right when they're starting their journeys. And then uh, the other one is the socialization and isolation components. When you're outside and you see other people, we are social uh, by default. And when you can participate in society, even little things like running into your colleague or running into a friend at the grocery store or waving to someone who's cycling right next to you. And that was something I was experiencing in the Netherlands when I was living there. It brings um, those extra valuable moments to your lives that you wouldn't have had if you were driving. I don't know right. if I would conv convince uh, someone skeptical because I don't know if those points, <laughs> you know, if, if someone is skeptical, it's very difficult to convince them. Well, and, and they're all good points. And if, if you don't mind, I'd like to... Uh, maybe just expound on just your points and just add even more that maybe might bring a skeptic even closer. So when you bring up pollution, obviously nobody wants to breathe smog, you know, nobody, uh, and and if, as long as you're not a, someone who's like a science denier, you don't want climate change uh, and we can start reducing emissions. And that's, I mean, that's going to very soon be going to have to be like humanity's number one priority, but I'll skip past that. And when you say pollution, I would say even noise pollution, you know, it's just maybe, you know, it's just, it, it can wear you down. Just constant, loud, constant noises from so much traffic and just, you know, it's, uh, it's not good for you mentally, I don't believe. And yes, uh, people have been studying that as well. And that's not only in the urban areas, but also nearby highways that produce high amounts of noise to adjacent communities that are not even city centers. So that's coupled with the air pollution, then you got the noise pollution, and that's not a nice way to yeah. live. Anyway. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, of course, like you said, sense of community, uh, mm -hmm. just, just, it's just pleasant to be out and be around people. And I would say that's one of the uh, a big difficulty we're facing as just a whole society is people are becoming and this is all backed up by data. It's not my opinion. We're becoming increasingly more isolated all the time. And, you know, why not uh, something so simple as building bike lanes and, and you're going to go out and you're going to talk to people. You're going to see people making things pedestrian friendly. Uh but I, I will get off, you know, that I just I wanted to like add a, a little bit of extra punch to a couple of things that you said that I that I already agreed with. Yes. <laughs> and if you think at a global scale, like we're all giving aviation hard time and rightfully so. Those right. are, you know, emissions that go straight to the atmosphere 
But if you look at the general trends, aviation is generally responsible for about 2% of it. Yeah. Road transportation is responsible for 30%. Depends on the country. Uh, the developed countries have more play in their overall global emissions coming from road transportation, but that's one third. And simply, there is just no other way to decrease that pollution unless we stop driving or minimize driving. EVs may solve the pollution to some extent, but they won't solve the congestion. They won't solve the time that we're losing in congestion. So that I looked up the statistics a couple months ago. What is even possible? And 50 to 60% around that number, it's a very large number of trips are three miles or less. So that's totally bikeable. Yeah. Even in harsh climates, I see my friends um, cycling in snow. I cycle in snow when I visit my family in Poland and I cycled in hail and I cycle in Florida as well. So that weather argument does not always hold. Um, so those short trips, I think, are the most accessible, of course. And uh, like I had told you, you know, when I first met you, uh, what, and this is just me, this is a personal thing for me, uh, because obviously weather is an, is an issue for a lot of people, but I was a, I was a bike courier for years and it did not matter what the weather was. That was my job. So if it was, yeah, if there was hail or sleet or ice on the ground, I mean, I would, I would bike on ice. So, <laughs> so to me, I'm like, I don't, I don't pity people that are like, it's cloudy. I don't want to ride my bike. I mean, come on. But, <laughs> but you know what? On a scale, let's yeah. say hypothetically, if there's more shift towards cycling or walking or e scooting, and then there are a couple of days that you're like, you know what? I just don't feel like it. You still have the opportunity to have a reasonable experience on the road because everyone else is still cycling. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that, that, that flexibility. And the fact that your trips will be divided between different modes, I think that's the key. And then you still can travel in a reasonable time because you're not stuck in traffic for hours. Yeah. Imagine uh, you've got 100 cars on the road and 20% of people decide they're going to be cyclists because it's it's available, it's safer now because the city's been redesigned. Think about how much that improves the lives of the people that decided to stay in their cars. They're no exactly. longer, the, con the congestion has dropped by 20%. And sometimes that's all you need to get the traffic jams to uh, move away, which leads me uh, to uh, kind of, this is kind of like, this is where it gets really tricky. And I I know, I'm sure you've, you've put a ton of thought into this. And I know this is probably where people have to put uh, so much. This is going to be where, where the effort really is. Um, but I guess uh, first one I want to ask is why is it this way? And the question is, why have cities evolved to become so dangerous for cyclists and pedestrians in the first place? Like, why are we already in this mess? You know, it's very complex, but to kind of identify the, the key points, a lot of it goes to the car industry. And I don't want to paint the car industry in this bad picture because they do bring a lot of value at the end. It enhances our life um, and it allows us to travel further. So the, the invention of automobile has been positive to their society. I don't want to discredit them. But also, there is this picture painted in the media and also in our cities, how they've been designed to accommodate cars that a lot of space has been given to them. Uh, and th there is this a myth that if you have fancy car, it should bring you happy life. And that's yeah. not always the case because you sit on your leather seats and sometimes you are on a highway that the car where the cars are barely moving so that's not necessarily what the car com commercials show you um, and there is a disconnect between the reality of owning a car and how it is pictured in the media or even in the movies and another point to that is it's like a domino effect. 
you build parking garages. So then you have to build um, access to them. And it's like, it keeps going. At some point, we, we have already run out of space because we allocated so much of it to our cars. But everyone notices the scooter on the sidewalk. I'm not saying that the scooter on the sidewalk should be there. What I'm saying is we're so car blind that no one pays attention to that anymore, that instead of a bike lane, there is a on-street parking. And there's nothing wrong with on-street parking. But the point is, there's no bike lane. Yeah. And there's on-street parking everywhere in most places. Uh, So those are the consequences of, you know, decades and decades of auto dependency. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to take... Things that you are that you're saying and make them sound more extreme because 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 they're my beliefs. So I will preface this by saying these are clearly these are, the, these are the things that I believe and it's not what you just said. But going toward when you when you, when you discuss uh, advertisement and media and like you said encouraging encouraging you to believe that if you buy this uh, if you buy a suburban or if you buy a a Denali you're going to be so happy. The car is going to make you so happy. And I draw a line to that, like a reference line to that, to the the tobacco industry uh, back in their heyday. Not now they've been, you know, they've been definitely kneecapped and they're not what they used to be. But back when, when Marlboro and it was, you know, was selling you, if you smoke a cigarette, you're going to be a real cool, tough, independent cowboy, you know, or, you know, whatever they were saying but when you compare the tobacco industry to the fossil fuel industry they're not in the same league that's like that's like that's like kids playing little league and major league baseball players because the fossil fuel industry is so powerful i mean they they start international wars they you know they and i'm not trying to go into crazy talk but you know everyone knows it it's it's common knowledge that that you know so the the propaganda that an industry that large, that powerful, that you know that we have we have petro states, you know places like Iran, uh, I mean I mean Saudi Arabia, Russia, the United States. So it's the power behind it is almost unfathomable when it comes to the propaganda. Yes, and it's so powerful we do not even reflect on its power anymore because it became just obvious. Yeah. And what I think a lot of people now are are trying to do is to go back, take a few steps back and and see the bigger picture. Because when you compare different regions, regions around the world, not every region is the same. Some regions made different choices along the way, and you now see the consequences. So we can't be living our lives and be like, oh, you know what, maybe we'll be okay. Well, we know what it leads to, and we also know that it doesn't have to. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's – uh, was that – I'm sorry. I just <laughs> – I just messed up my phone. Give me one second. <laughs> I had written down something something that I did not want to forget. Okay. Oh, and uh, this is actually before we move on. I do want to ask you just just you because I I have a I have a million. I, I thought about writing a book on alter, uh, altercations that I have had while riding my bicycle and just the I've you know I've I've been I've been hit by cars. I've been you know struck you know been mm-hmm. hit. I've been laid out in the middle of intersections. We you know when I had the right away. Oh wow! And That's I'm, I'm, I'm extreme. Very, yeah, very, I'm very lucky. I've you know I've got no permanent damage, but that's what I wanted to ask was: Do you have any per- you know because we we both are cyclists? Have you experienced any like actual in your own life just dangerous like crazy dangerous, uh, like I don't know how to put this. Just you know, uh, close calls. Yeah, close calls. That's that's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so far, I but I'm also very my 
very risk averse. I if I see that car that may may not be going too fast, I always assume they are going too fast. Yeah. Uh, the driver is, you know, I never give the driver the benefit of the doubt. So I've been able to remain relatively safe, but I also don't cycle on shared paths. So where I live in Orlando, believe it or not, uh, there are multi-use paths. So I can make it to Publix, I can make it to coffee shop without really interacting with vehicles. And in the Netherlands, of course, there is this amazing infrastructure. Uh, So, you know, I try to remain uh, safe. But what I'm noticing if I wasn't this risk averse and if I was a little bit more of a risk takers, I would anticipate a lot of problems. And here's why, because there are so few people walking and cycling, a lot of drivers, and that's that's not to their fault. They just don't expect you. So when you're standing to cross the street, sometimes they just don't even see you. So the idea is to bring more people outside so it becomes a norm. Imagine driving in New York City and not anticipating a cyclist or a pedestrian. It's unheard of. You're fully focused to make sure you're not going to harm anyone. But for some reason, when you go outside of those very urban areas, your mindset shifts and it shouldn't yeah. uh, because that's how then crashes happen. And then, you know, so I'm trying to stay safe. So far. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I love that you just brought up uh, the Netherlands. Uh, and this is this is why when I announced uh that uh, you were going to come on the podcast. I just made some posts. I was just like, I went on Instagram. I was like, Dr. Natalia uh, Barber is coming on. We're going to talk about bikeable cities, you know, just kind of like getting everybody a little bit excited uh, for you. And the thing that I feel like the most people, you know, either were commenting or just DMing me and saying is they kept telling me to, to talk to you or ask you about the Netherlands or Amsterdam specifically, all the people that had been over there or lived over there, and they're like, these are the, like these are the cities. These are you know this is where things are being done right, so on and so forth. And you just you know you just said you've been there and it's very well done. Uh, I wanted to ask you what cities, I mean, uh, if there are any in addition to, of course, uh, those as well. But what city like what what is what is the Netherlands doing right, and what other cities might be doing the right thing, and what does it look like? There, there are a lot of regions right now that do things right and they're trying to push the change. And I also would like to preface that, that we can't compare our first chapter with someone else's chapter 20th because mm-hmm. it's not fair. Um, those infrastructure designs have been there for decades and a lot of regions are just now embarking to become more cyclable. But some of the cities um, I would like to highlight of course the Netherlands it's not a city but I'm highlighting the entire country because it's that there's a cycle lane to the airport yeah you cycle to the airport and then that's amazing oh my god you have your bag on wheels you hold it with one arm and then you hold your um, steering wheel with the other and that's how you roll so it's pretty amazing it was great to be a part of it i lived there for over a year so i cycled everywhere i had my daughter in the back i had my e-bike it was very nice but there are other cities who are now entering that cycling map of the world and uh, for example uh, paris have done a lot of work uh, towards becoming more sustainable and um, more cycling friendly and walking, walkable. Uh, of course, there are Scandinavian countries, even countries like Finland, um, with not very favorable climate, they really promote cycling in those winter conditions. And it's pretty extraordinary. And even my own country, Poland, I see there is a huge push towards decreasing auto-dependence and improving cyclable and walkable communities. And the laws that are in those places are not so favorable to the drivers. So, for example, in Poland, in my little town, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 in the entire country, but that's where I feel it the most. 
there's a rule that if a pedestrian approaches the sidewalk, you don't even know if the pedestrian crosses the sidewalk, but if it approaches, you are obligated to stop. So if you're the driver, you have to stop for cyclists and for pedestrians. That's it. And if you don't, you get caught and you get a ticket. And it's actually enforced. So people stop. You it's immediate. It's immediate. Everyone stops. And it's pretty nice to exist in, in place like that. That sounds so civilized. <laughs> yes, but it's also worse driving experience. Yeah. Because if the driver has the full right of way and the full privilege, you feel like you own the road. So when you don't have all of that, you have to really focus and make sure you actually share that road as you're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, I guess like like you said, uh, and I love the way you put it, our chapter one cannot be their chapter 20. And obviously trying to encourage Americans in whatever city. I mean, we have we certainly we certainly have cities in America that are far ahead of others in in the what we're talking about. Like uh, the first one that comes to mind for me is Seattle. I think Seattle is probably one of my absolute favorite cities to bike in because they they take it seriously to make uh to make it accessible they have uh good greenway access points they have bike lanes they got a lot so it's very cool um and then i've been places that are you know i would say los angeles parts of it are bikeable a lot of part a lot of los angeles it's a nightmare to try and bike there so, uh people still do though yeah yeah and, yeah exactly and i good for, you know if you're listening and you're in a place that that's a you know it's dangerous to bike, but you're doing it anyway. Good for you because that's how things change as people get at it. Um, I'm sorry, I, I totally just blew past what I was trying to say though. Is uh, you know we're on our chapter one, and um, sorry, I, <laughs> I was going to ask you, uh, do you know like? I mean, I'm sure this is this is what you this is what you do and this is what you teach. But what what are going to be the methods in like if for re, for restructuring these cities that are already poorly designed? They're already they're made they're they've evolved to be this way. They seem like they're unchangeable. Unfortunately, there's only one way to do it. Of course, a lot of people are not going to like it, but. Since space is not unlimited, we have to take it from somewhere. If the bike lane is not already designated, you have to designate it. And that usually means taking the space away from cars. Should they take the entire space from cars? Absolutely not. Should they take some of it? Absolutely yes. So that's how you start. And you separate the traffic and that's it. And connect the cycling infrastructure. Of course, I just gave three-point recipe for a centrally long problem. Problem <laughs> that you know, it's I know it's not realistic, but pretty much that's what has to happen. The space has to be allocated from another mode of transportation. It's, nobody could have known like when uh, when the Model T car came out. Nobody looked at that and they're like, "Oh, one day that I won't be able to walk around my city because this thing." There's no way. Yeah. People saw that then, and now we're in a place, it truly, it's, yeah, it's, you're taking your life in your hands if you try and go walk around, and that's crazy, and it shouldn't be that way, but. <laughs> yeah. Going to a grocery store should not make you question your uh, mortality, so I, I totally agree with that, but also to kind of bring a little bit of hope to the conversation, there are a lot of new communities that do recognize the issue, that do invest in non-motorized uh, infrastructure, so they're are changes that are happening in the US and in the world. So I do wanna leave here with spreading the hope and there are amazing people even on Twitter who really make a substantial change in their communities. For example, coach Sam Balto, he is from Portland. He started Bike Bus. And a lot of influencers like American Feetzer, a content creators, or Active Town Podcast, you know, not just bikes, all the people who really create awareness, um, that's something that has to continue. Because at some point, you know, it, it's it's been proven that to create a social change that's meaningful, only a few percentage points of the society have to uh, be on board. 
So yeah. it's really not that big of a number if you think okay. about it. Well, I'm I'm glad that you did bring some hope back into the conversation there because when you <laughs> earlier when you said essentially that laws would have to change, uh, which me- would mean that we would have to get city planners, you know, mayors, governors, senators, people that it's hard to believe they're going to really focus on something like this, you know, it just, it is discouraging because it does seem oftentimes it's difficult to get uh, laws to change that that seem like they should even just be common sense, that it shouldn't have to be said in, uh, that it's a law. But uh, what you said right after that, which I uh, believe what you're saying, you know, that there's a, there's a culture shift uh, towards site more and more and more people are seeing the value of cycling um, I'd like to, have you ever participated in critical mass mm. or are you familiar with it? Um, I don't know if it's the, called the same thing in every city, but critical mass is something we had here. Uh, it's where they'll pick a, pick a random day. So someone will organize it. This was happening a lot more during the Facebook era. Um, I don't know how, I don't know what social media will be kind of like organizing this in the future, but th- when Facebook was still at its peak, it was very easy to organize these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially it was a bicycle meetup. So you, you would get hundreds of cyclists would all meet at a park up here. Uh, what we did in Nashville is we would meet at this park. It's called dragon park. It's my favorite park in the world. Shout out dragon park. We'd, uh, meet up there. You'd get, you know, sometimes up to 300 cyclists and they would ride from there through the entire city to the river. And it was kind of like a, it's almost like a guerrilla protest type action because, we took the entire road. So it was, there's nothing anybody could do about it. And the group was so large. It was a critical mass. That's where they got the name. Even police, like what are they going to give out 300 tickets for doing something that's technically legal? So yeah. <laughs> I know that was a bit of a tangent, but also. No, that's how you create awareness. Yeah. That's the start. Yeah. Yeah. Because people would be like, why are there 300 bicycles in my way? And it's like, because you're not making room for one bicycle. So we have to go, you know. <laughs> so we just got to take over the entire city. I like it. Um, obviously, what I just said uh, is not everyone's going to like that. I you know that's a little bit aggressive and so on and so forth. Uh, but um, I do want to think. ask like just on a more maybe uh, civil note. What are some ways that people can help to try and change change this, change the way things are, and they don't have to do like what I just said, like go out and just kind of be aggressive? Yeah, and I thought of that, and I kept thinking, and I know there's one way that anyone can actually start doing it right now, today. When you drive, be aware and give the right of way to bicycles, pedestrians, and all the other road users that are no that are not uh, vehicles. That's what you can do anytime, and that does create that. I don't want to say um, directional or direct awareness, but it helps to protect their safety, so they don't have to uh, really fight for survival while they are cycling or trying to cross the street. The other way is, of course, to walk the talk. And again, I do drive in Orlando. I live in Orlando. So, of course, you have to drive. But on the trips that I can, I try to either walk or cycle. And those are the trips, usually short trips within two miles or so. And and I have my family do the same. And then I feel really good about, you know, I just saved the world 500 grams of CO2 because I'm that kind of a nerd, but it yeah. feels good. <laughs> and then it becomes a habit. I think some studies say that you have to do something for 30 days to, for it to become a habit. Don't quote me on that. But I know there is a magic number. Oh, I just, I've, I've not, heard that. I've heard that. Yeah. So I think it's around 30 days. But but anyway, if if you can, or if anyone can right now, uh, just make that little change, even if it's one trip, even if it's 600 feet, whatever that is that they would normally drive, cut it out. Okay, I, I want to say one thing. And I think, in fact, I know it's going to piss some people off because some people, it's this is something they do and they don't want to hear me say, don't do it. But when you go, especially... Uh, 
Christmas is coming up. Everyone's going to be going to these big parking lots, these big stores. And there's some people out there. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're a bad person. But if you're the kind of person who will drive around the parking lot over and over and over again to get the perfect parking spot so that you don't have to walk the extra, you know, 30 yards, but you spent 10 extra, 15 extra minutes trying to find a parking space and spending all that all that uh, CO2. And really all you were doing is just reducing the amount of steps you took in a day. Maybe that's one tiny place you could start is when you get, when you go do your Christmas shopping this year. And if you end up at a place, you know, a big, let's just call it a big box store and you're in the parking lot and you don't immediately see uh, the, the Holy grail of parking spaces at the very front, (laughs) just go park and go park further back and walk. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's, it, a, it's a place to yeah. start <laughs> and it's interesting it, it, very interesting that you're saying it because when you ask me what people can do I, I i thought about saying some grand things that should be done give up your car live of the land no that's we have to be reasonable we live in uh in the u.s where sometimes you have to drive so i think what's reasonable is exactly what you said those little micro changes if there are enough micro changes they will eventually add up to a macro change and that's when systemic changes happen yeah absolutely and there's one thing i i have to i I skipped over it but i wanted to go back to it just because i had um i had told you we would talk about it but we we really covered a lot of it when we got into like fossil fuel industry and things of that nature and it's about it's about people that are pushing back against all the stuff that we've suggested. And I was wondering if maybe if, you know, uh, maybe entities, organizations, whoever you think, like people that uh, that you think are identifiable as people who are pushing against b- building bikeable cities, uh, like in, and maybe in addition to that, like how we might be able to communicate with those people. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm naive, but I really do believe that it starts with education. If everyone knows what kind of benefits shifting from automobiles can bring, I don't believe there would be anyone in the right sense of mind who said, yes, I want pollution. Yes, I want congestion. (laughs) Yes, I want to circle 50 times around that parking lot to find the space because everyone and their sisters drove to that particular lot. And I do believe that you asked what we can do. Talk about that it does improve the society as a whole. Uh, Talk about the changes that can happen, how the air quality can increase, how the noise pollution can decrease, how you don't have to pay so much money uh, in gas money to, to travel less than a mile. You can go get your Starbucks. Shout yeah. out to Starbucks, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and and those points on education, I think that's the key. A lot of it is just lack of awareness. Yeah, I could I couldn't agree more that it it does start with education. And you said uh, this is one thing that I, I it just kind of popped into my mind while you were talking just then about getting people to think about it. And here's just one that's this is different, but it's similar, and it's. No one wants to live next door to a landfill. You don't like they stink and they're, you know, it seeps into the groundwater and it's, but, and there are solutions. We don't have to have so many landfills. And the more people realize that, the more we can start uh, using like reusable containers, recyclables. There's a lot that could be done to minimize landfills. That's a big, big problem. And it's for another episode, but it's 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 a similar thing to where it's like hey man you know you want more breathable air you want less congestion you want happier people you want your kids to do better in school because they were able to ride their bike or walk i mean it just getting the information out there could be enough to change and it might change the mind of someone who's who really needs to have their mind changed so maybe someone who works at exxon is like hey I, i would like my kids to be able to ride a bike to school you know Maybe I'm on the wrong side of this. And again, I would stay away from creating the two camps of us and them. In the end, I think this is our world. And I I, I think that we can make it work. 
it's just that communication. And another study that I found once said that it's impossible to change someone's opinion, or it's very difficult if you're on the other side. There has to be a common ground. And that's how you can shift people's opinions. Because you asked me earlier, how do I change skeptics' mind? And I'm like, I don't think I can do it. Um, they're skeptics for a reason. But finding that common ground, like clean air, less congestion, I think that's a good start. Yeah. And, and you are right. I am totally the kind of person who does i i put you know i've i've done that a, a few times in this episode and i admit it and i've and i'm aware of it where i where i point out an enemy and i say oh the fossil fuel industry the route to get us and, <laughs> and Isn't i don't the mean podcast to... <laughs> called my views are my own <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah it is <laughs> that's why i can say whatever i want <laughs> And I don't think that, uh, you know, sure, it sounds nice, but if you want, you know, people that that uh, own a private jet and they decide to fly to Paris for lunch and then fly back to New York for dinner just because they can and they don't give a shit about the rest of us, you know, that's my opinion that that's unethical. But then again, I don't own a private jet. Who knows what kind of person I might be? That's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. <laughs> Natalia, I got to tell you something. We are it's getting time. dangerously close to the lightning round. Game on. Okay, so uh, like I told you, I my calendar got like a little mixed up, or my calendar. I act like I had it written down. My mind got mixed up, and I had the time a little mixed up. So while we were talking, co-producer Colleen wrote this lightning round. I haven't even seen it. I don't know what I'm going to ask you, but I will tell you the rules. In the lightning round, I ask you questions super fast. You don't have time to think. It's all gut reactions. And looks like I'm going to go ahead and see what we have here. Ooh, it's going to be a tough one for you today because this is a this or that, the, aka known as a would you rather, which means you might not like either answer, but you got to pick one. One's got to go. One's got to stay. Are you ready, Natalia? Ready as it can be. I have a feeling you're going to win. <clears throat> all right. Only being able to drive a tractor to get around or... Only being able to ride a unicycle to get around. Tractor. <laughs> <laughs> and to ride a unicycle. I would not go anywhere. I have a friend that rides a unicycle around. He's a he's a goof. All right. <laughs> oh, ooh, here's an easy one. This is a very easy one. Well, or maybe not. Window seat or aisle seat? Aisle seat. Aisle seat? Of course aisle seat. Oh my God. I thought we had so much in common, and now I feel like I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> Who would choose window seat? I would. I I have the only time I have ever not sat in a window seat is because I was against my will if I had to sit in any seat that wasn't a window seat. But if you choose aisle, you just we're learning a lot about you right now. <laughs> All right, next one: bullet train or Amtrak. I'm going to go with Amtrak. Go Amtrak. All right. All right. Yeah. Hey, I'm keeping, I, it, keeping it local. It sounds like they they got some things in the works that I really hope are going to happen. I heard there's one they're yeah. building a train from Nashville to New Orleans or at least it's like in a beta planning phase and uh that would change my life. I would live on that train. <laughs> All right. Only being able to ride one of those uh really tall old Tommy three-wheeled bicycles Okay, so she means a bicentennial bicycle with the really huge front wheel or only being able to use a dog sled to get around. Those are your two transportation choices. Option number one. Yeah. yeah. Dog <laughs> dog sled is only if, if you have to live in like in Alaska or Canada and only during parts of the year, I think. Yeah, I'm in Orlando. Again, I would not go anywhere. It got to be practical. Oh, my God. Can you imagine trying to use a dog sled in Orlando? People would think you were a nut. <laughs> yeah yeah option one okay Ooh, uh hoverboard or self-driving car hoverboard duh duh <laughs> what i don't even want to say what i would do for a hoverboard <laughs> they're not they require skill otherwise you can have couple injuries there there's a learning curve i heard yeah well you know worth it yeah totally <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes the funnest things in life require a few injuries to get there. Uh, delivery drone or bike messenger? Bike messenger. I yeah, 
hell yeah <laughs> get out of here delivery drone <laughs> bike messenger all the way uh ooh, this is a nashville specific question i don't know if you guys have this in orlando i don't know what your tourist industry is like so i have to ask do you know what a pedal tavern is i know what it is yes okay here in nashville that's honestly that's ha- like speaking of cycle cycle it's like you know something that has pedals we've got pedal taverns like outnumber cars here basically downtown <laughs> would you rather get around uh on a scooter or a pedal tavern oh pedal tavern a pedal tavern of course <laughs> just, like, just like all to yourself <laughs> no i i assume there will be people to socialize with oh, okay yeah no that, that does sound more fun yeah so, yeah like, everywhere you every time you have to go somewhere everyone has to come hop on the pedal tavern you're like hey i'm going grocery shopping let's get the let's get the crew together neighborhood trip natalia i have one last thing to ask uh just where can people uh maybe check you out your research anything uh at all that you have to share all that good stuff and uh i'm sorry go ahead <laughs> So you can reach me on Twitter at Natalia, N-A-T-A-L-I-A, underscore Barber, B as a boy, A-R-B-O-U-R. And there's a link to my website with my research. So um, say hi. I'll be happy to hear from you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, Yeah. And thanks so much for inviting me. It was really fun. I loved the lightning round. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thanks.